This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Good evening. This is the Sunday Night Health Show, a little sex show disguised as a health show. Tonight, it breaks my heart to hear of what has gone on in El, pa- in El Paso, Texas, yesterday in Dayton, Ohio, today. Today's shooting in Dayton, Ohio, is the 22nd mass killing of 2019 in the U.S., according to the AP USA Today Northeastern University's mass murder database that tracks homicides where four or more people are killed, not including the offender. The 20 mass killings, 20 in the U.S. in 2019 that preceded this weekend claimed 96 lives. Our hearts go out to all of the victims and their families, friends, and lovers. We are about love on this program, and to that effect, we have lots to cover tonight from your seven chakras, including your most exciting one, your attachment style, is sober the new sexy, common myths about some sexually transmitted infections, great minds think alike, but does that mean men are from Mars and women are from Venus? I don't think so. But right now, we're ready for the... uh, (laughs) Actually, okay, I'm messing up the technology tonight. (laughs) But then again, I'm not that good. Maureen's Health Headline. That's right. It is Maureen's Health Headline. Pardon me for uh, the delay there. But uh, there's only certain um, things that go buzz that I'm good with. Remember, I I don't want to forget to say this, and I think I did in my opener, that this show is not a replacement for a visit to your doctor, your medical doctor, one who went to medical school, uh, for anything that ails you. Okay, so um, but you feel free to email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com. I've got a few of your emails that I'm going to read tonight. Uh, so thank you so much, nursetalk at hotmail.com. If you have any... Um, Okay, if you have any um, questions at all, the number to call is one 399 9898 That's one 399 And so um, we're actually going to talk a little bit about medication compliance because I see this as an issue in my clinical practice quite frequently. Uh, and First of all, the first problem begins with the fact that um, people don't know what medications that they are on. You can actually ask for a list from your doctor. They are in in um, British Columbia anyway. They are stored on Pharmanet, and I'm certain that they are stored or they are tracked. The last five years of medications are tracked in um, uh, in other provinces as well. Um, Anyhow, so you can definitely, that's really important that you know what medications you are on. Uh, The other thing is, do those medications work for you? Are they working for you? And I'm also talking about those herbal things that you buy that have these magical, wondrous powers that have never been tested according to a clinical trial because natural health products do not require the same rigorous um, studies and process that uh, pharmaceutical medications do require. And you know what? A lot of pharmaceuticals have helped a lot of people. 
because, and a lot of people will say, oh, I'm anti-big pharma, um, but you know what? Think about diabetes, think about hypertension, think about your heart. And joining me on the line is Dr. John Weisler. He is a cardiologist at Lionsgate Hospital, and we're going to talk a little bit about medication compliance and also going to talk about aspirin and how important it is to take aspirin. Who should be taking that? Good evening, Dr. Weisler. Good evening, Maureen. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Great, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, thanks for coming back and sharing your knowledge. Um, So we're talking a little bit about medication compliance. How important is that for people who have been prescribed heart medications? It's uh, it's very important. It's critical. The the drugs um, are very helpful and uh, can do a lot for you, but they only work if you take them. So it's it's critical, as as it is for you know everything in medicine. According to some. Uh, reports that I've seen, some of the research I've read, some people are at about an 80% compliance. They forget to take their medications. Um, and, and we're human. We will forget. Um, some people set an alarm. They're obsessive compulsive about it. Um, but what about what happens when somebody um, forgets their medication or is only at, at 80% compliance? So when you miss doses, uh, the levels of drug in your system, as you'd expect, they'll, they'll drop off. And if you miss more than one, if you miss a few in a row, the drug can be absent. And, you know, uh, everybody, you know, pills, pills are annoying. You know, we're, as you say, we're all human. We all can forget. And we all, you know, don't really want to take pills unless we have to. But try to remember that the doctor or whoever's prescribed them for you, sometimes a nurse practitioner or um, the provider has prescribed them for a reason. And they're chemically altering, you know, things that happen in our body trying to give us protection, give us benefit. So for the case of heart disease, there's pills like aspirin, which helps to make our blood less likely to clot, which is the final step when you get a heart attack. That's how aspirin helps us. Cholesterol drugs, they lower the amount of cholesterol our body makes. So when you miss doses, you're sort of losing that chemical effect or biochemical effect. So your risk factors aren't as well controlled. Your blood clots more easily, you have more cholesterol and so forth. The other question I had for you is how important it is it for a patient to explain to their cardiologist, since you're a cardiologist, and we'll use you, um, yep. that they are taking herbal products or natural products uh, that are over the counter? Yeah, it's it's important. We don't always know, you know, as much about herbal products. They're not always as well studied, but we know about some of them, and there can be interactions. Some of them can make your medications less effective. Some of them can have other effects that we don't want. For example, there's some that, you know, make your blood a little bit more thin, so they may raise your risk of bleeding. So it's important to disclose everything. I mean, doctors, I mean, I, I think most of us are, are pretty understanding. We know that people are you know, afraid sometimes of taking medication. So if you have concerns, it's important to mention them. We know that people like to use supplements or herbal products too. And, uh, and uh, it's, it's important that you bring those, bring those forward to your doctor so that you can have a discussion about them and, you know, make something that works, works for you, that treats you well and is good for you. Absolutely. On Twitter this weekend, and thank you for the retweet, appreciate it, um, because I was appalled. I was, I was, I had a patient in my clinical practice on Friday, and I asked her if she was on any medications, and she told me no, that she wasn't. And then I could see, uh, I think, you know, a little bit into the assessment, you know, she could see I was pretty chill, and I was not going to be judging her. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so that I wasn't going to be uh, judgmental of her. Um, so I, um, uh, she told me that she was on you know, Celebrex, and she was also on hormone replacement therapy or hormone therapy. And then she told me that her GP 
um, was completely against hormone therapy for women, her male GP, uh, which I was appalled at. And she was taking it because she went to the U.S. and she got a prescription for it because she was suffering with night sweats and hot flashes. And, and I was saying to her, you should go to an, a, a gynecologist and who's experienced in this, who's trained in this, a women's health specialist. And, and she said, oh, I can't because my doctor will not give me a referral. Um, you know, we can't place judgment on particular types of medications as healthcare practitioners. I was appalled at this, that this mm-hmm. patient told me this, but I'm, I know that it happens out there because of a lack of understanding on the part of, of physicians. And that's often why women's health isn't addressed. Um, but, but I wanted to get to something um, before, which is aspirin. So there's a little bit of controversy around aspirin and, and who should take aspirin and who shouldn't, and is it recommended? And do you prescribe it for your patients? Yeah, so um, I mean, both both great points. I mean, um, yes, there, there's. I mean, with any with any drug, you know, hormone replacement or aspirin or anything, we ask a lot of our our family doctors. So um, without trying to be critical of the situation, you know, the one patient in particular and their doctor. I mean, it's always important to recognize that there may be new data, and sometimes you need you know specialist input. Um, with aspirin, uh, I do prescribe it for a lot of my patients. Um, it's really, you know, it goes back and forth, I think, or, or things, our opinion has changed. For people with established cardiac disease, what we call secondary prevention, you've already had a heart attack or a stroke, the benefits of aspirin are very clear, very well proven, and the vast majority of physicians would, you know, agree that it's helpful. The, the benefit is quite strong, and the risk, you know, in most patients is modest, so we use it. Um, but more of the, the change lately has been for primary prevention patients, Marine, so people that don't, don't have a history of heart disease or stroke. Um, and of course, you don't want to get that in the first place. But when you're otherwise in good health, the benefit of some treatments is lower and aspirin's one of them. So, you know, earlier data done in the 70s and the 80s, first in men, then later in, in women, they gave aspirin to everybody and, you know, gave, gave half the population aspirin, half not in these trials. And, and those, those groups benefited. And so that's where the idea of, you know, an aspirin a day is protective for everybody sort of came from. It's important to realize the population then was less healthy. So they had higher risk of heart disease. They were way more likely to smoke. They had higher, you know, cholesterol, higher blood pressure, not as well controlled. And so when your risk is higher, aspirin is more beneficial. The population now, most of us, even though none of us are are perfect, there's less smoking. People are generally healthier on average. They look more into their risk factors. The exception, I guess, being, you know, diabetes, which is on the increase. But overall, the population in more recent trials, people are, are healthier. And so the benefit of aspirin is much less compelling. So for most people without established heart disease, the benefit's small. We don't routinely recommend it. Very interesting. Yeah, it's important to talk with your doctor because there are some people where they might be really afraid of stroke or something and, um, you know, they may have risk factors, they may not be able to quit smoking or their cholesterol may be really hard to control. There may be the odd person that doesn't have established disease where aspirin still makes sense, but it's really, it's really, um, the, the paradigm has really shifted that the benefit now is much smaller and so aspirin is used much less widely in the past uh, for, for people that don't have established disease. Well, thank you for clarifying that because I'm, I'm hearing that a little bit out there on the circuit, <laughs> the clinical mm-hmm. circuit um, about okay. aspirin, so I appreciate that. Dr. Weisler, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. My guest is Donna Fairhurst. She is an intuitive and energy specialist, 
uh, chakra specialist, Reiki, many modalities that complement traditional medicine. She is an expert in, and we're talking about the different chakras. And I specifically asked you, Donna, thanks for staying on the line, to talk about the sexual chakra. Would that be the sacral chakra? No, that would be, uh, well, it's two chakras, actually. Um, the sacral chakra and the root chakra. Your your sacral chakra is connected to your blood sugar, your ovaries, your uterus, and your urinary tract. And your root chakra is connected to the testes and the vagina and the perineum and the tailbone legs. So um, on the sacral chakra level, that's the orange one that is located right between the middle of your, in the middle of your stomach, between your belly button. Bone, belly button and your pubic bone mm-hmm. that's about on the on the mental emotional side it's about feeling emotional needs boundaries trust warmth intimacy attachments and letting go addictions and pleasures specifically with what you're talking about to sexual addictions you know needs versus actual wants beginnings and endings that's the mental emotional side mm-hmm. on the root chakra on the mental emotional side it's about your basic body needs safety, sexuality, uh, behaviors, physical grounding, and boundaries, space and boundaries, and and particularly with regard to personal relationships. So on the physical side, sacral is blood, sugar, spleen, ovaries, adrenal, uterus, kidney, and urinary tract. The root chakra is all about the testes, vagina, and perineum. Now, there's a number of ways you can clear those, but affirmation, um, any kind of meditation work, uh, tai chi, yoga, pretty much any physical activity that brings you to balance and and grounds you will help to activate healing energies and all kinds of good things, good hormones, good vibes in your body that will ramp up and help heal those areas if there is a lack of healing there. And so this would go along with traditional medicine, uh, for example, if people were having painful sex or other issues, erectile dysfunction perhaps, or um, trust issues. So would would you suggest uh, if there's a blockage in these that um, people do kind of a dual modality of treatment? Absolutely. I would I would never say do just one or the other. All things in moderation and all things together that bring you to health. Just the way you would eat a healthy diet, get the right amount of exercise, take care of your physical body. You want to do the same thing with your energetic body. One of the really good things that I like to do, and I teach them, by the way, I have severed several doctors uh, as my clients, um, as a life coach. So they uh, are quite in a in a tune with everything that I do. I would like to give you um, an affirmation that we could say together that is really works on the root chakra and another one that worked on the sacral chakra. Are you ready? Sure. I am grounded and calm. I am rooted to the earth. I am welcome, wanted, and completely supported by the universe. And so it is, and so it is done. That's your root chakra. Your sacral chakra, I am fully alive. I appreciate and honor all my feelings and fully embrace my creativity and my sensual life. And so it is, and so it is done. And one thing I would really like to leave you with is your words have a great impact on your energy. 
So when you say I am, I stands for intention. And remember, you're that infinite loop of energy between the I and the M. And the M, like the word OM, stands for manifestation. So when you say I am, whatever comes after M better be positive. Because you are declaring to the universe exactly what it is that you want more of when you declare yourself to be it with the word M. Donna Fairhurst, you've been wonderful. The website is soulfulsolutions.ca. Thank you so much. I'll definitely have you back. Learned so much. Um, Thank you so much. uh, I'd love to be on. I would love to have you. And the listeners loved you as well. This is the Sunday Night Health Show. I am Maureen McGrath. Thank you so much for being here with me this evening. We're talking about some very sensitive subjects tonight. Dr. Dora Wolf joins me. She is a psychologist and the CEO and clinical director of Wolf Behavioral Health. She's a licensed clinical psychologist and trained to diagnose and treat all psychological disorders. She joins me from just outside of Chicago. Her specialization is in the diagnosis and treatment of mood, trauma, and attachment disorders. Good evening, Dr. Wolf. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Good evening. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I got a very horrific email recently, and I, and quite frankly, I get a lot of these emails from people who have suffered trauma as the result of severe childhood abuse. And I had one recently from a woman who suffered about 20 years of incest and ritual abuse. She went on to get married, and her husband attempted to murder her after about 10 years of marriage. And she had four little babies at the time. Of course, this triggered a severe post-traumatic stress disorder and brought back all of the nightmares that she experienced as a child. She's no longer married to this person. She's not suicidal, although she described her life as waiting to die. She wonders if she has to live this way uh, or if there's any way that her life can be uh, directed in a, in a better, uh, with hope, and is there any chance of her getting into another relationship, um, and is there a way to live an engaged and happy life after suffering these horrific experiences? And I was just curious about your thoughts on that. Yeah, um, I would say absolutely. I think in working with trauma, the um, the thing that I always let patients know is that it doesn't matter where you've come from or what you've gone through. What matters is where you, what you want and where you want to go. Um, people have, you know, they suffer all sorts of horrendous abuse. Uh, and it's my job and, and the job of people that do what I do to help them see to the other side of it. Um, I think where trauma is concerned, one of the most disruptive things that happens is that people don't know true safety and security in relationships. And so they may think that they are attracting somebody into their life who is safe, um, and it may take many years for them to figure out that that person was indeed not safe and dysfunctional um, and what abuse survivors are willing to tolerate Um, or willing to normalize is something that just keeps these dysfunctional patterns in their lives. And so children learn what they live is absolutely true then. Absolutely. You know, it's not only do they learn it, but it becomes hardwired in their brain. Uh, And so they just keep repeating these traumatic cycles in their relationships. 
uh, until they are able to get the treatment that we know can actually help rewire the brain and change those traumatic patterns. And what does the treatment consist of? You know, it's very individualized. Um, we would need to take a thorough history of the patient to kind of see what, where the areas are that need to be worked on. But the good news is we have a lot to, to at our disposal now in trauma work. So whether that is something like um, EMDR or it might be biofeedback or neurofeedback or somatic reprocessing, um, there's a lot of modalities that we use to incorporate work with the autonomic nervous system and the wiring in the brain that truly helps these people to break those dysfunctional patterns um, and not be triggered and go on to recognize happy and functional relationships in their lives. And so if you wouldn't mind for me, uh, if you could educate the listeners on exactly what EMDR, eye movement therapy uh, consists of, what, what actually is it? Sure. So it's eye movement um, desensitization and reprocessing. And basically what that means is that when a brain is traumatized, we know that that brain gets stuck and it starts to work differently. That's what PTSD is. And when you get these flashbacks of whether it's sensory or it's images, um, the brain is stuck. It gets hyper-stimulated and it's not able to then process and integrate those memories. And so what EMDR is able to do is it's able to put the brain into a kind of calm holding pattern where those memories and those sensory images can get integrated um, into the memory bank, kind of tucked away. So in, in a nutshell, it kind of keeps the brain in the calm state that it's not able to do on its own so that we can take those memories and get them digested, basically, so that they're no longer getting triggered and popped up and overwhelming uh, a patient's autonomic nervous system. So it's not as though they're stored somewhere else, uh, because, in fact, that's probably what's happening now to somebody who doesn't have treatment, correct? That they're stored in an area and and triggers uh, may bring them back or or bring them to life. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So you've got the part of the brain, the amygdala, which is where we all process very strong emotional memory. And for those of us who don't have PTSD, we can take that memory that's there in the amygdala and it can get processed by other parts of the brain and then it gets tucked away in long-term memory and it's no longer um, an emotional trigger for us. And when somebody has PTSD, that memory gets triggered in the amygdala it sets off a reaction throughout our body, and we're so hyper-aroused that the rest of the brain can't do the work it needs to do to get that memory digested and then tucked into longer-term memory. And is EMDR a, a quick therapy? Or I, I know many patients who have been helped by that. How long does it take? You know, that too is very individualized. Um, it's, for some patients, it works in just a matter of sessions. Um, For other patients, again, depending on kind of the entire uh, patient profile, we may have to do some other work first before we start to integrate EMDR. And so I have uh, worked with EMDR a few sessions with some patients, and for some patients it's been a year or more that we've integrated that kind of treatment. Um, It's a very effective tool along with some of the other things that we've talked about, 
And so I think the message really to get out there for people who have been traumatized is that if you find a trauma-informed treatment professional um, who can integrate all of these modalities, uh, prognostically your outlook for um, getting past that trauma and going on to have a happy, healthy, successful uh, life and relationship is actually very good. And does that include sex? Because, uh, you know, I see so many people who suffer for such a long time and they also uh, tell me that they hate sex or they feel that sex is dirty. Mm -hmm. And this woman in her note wrote that um, would she, uh, she's seeking a relationship where there isn't any sex. Are there any men like that out there? And there certainly are. There are men who have low sexual desire and may not want to have a sexual relationship, but it doesn't seem like to be the most fulfilled life. Um, a life without sex, but that's often what happens. Yeah, I mean, correct. And and because trauma often incorporates various forms of sexual abuse, and then there's very low self-esteem and self-worth, and again, a lot of shame around uh, relationships and sex, I think that um, because sex is such an important part of a healthy life and, and be, being fulfilled, I think avoiding it is one of the things that just sort of reinforces trauma. Um, and so why it's understandable that she has no interest in sex right now, um, I do think that eventually that should be uh, integrated into her treatment and to be a goal so she truly can feel connected on all levels uh, in her intimate relationships. And just quickly, uh, you mentioned biofeedback. I know we have breathing and heart rate and muscle contraction, a different variety of mm-hmm. methods. What do you recommend for people who have suffered uh, sexual abuse or trauma as a child for biofeedback? Yeah, I have found the most effective biofeedback uh, in working with these patients is the heart rate variability biofeedback. Um, that really is targeting the autonomic nervous system. And, it's, and, and those the autonomic nervous system in trauma patients almost all of the time is so um, hyper-aroused and disruptive that if we can get in there and help them regulate uh, that autonomic nervous system, then that feeds into all of the other treatment modalities that we utilize. Um, we need to help them feel safe in their bodies and feel like they're in control of their bodies. Absolutely. Dr. Dora Wolf, thank you so much. Clinical psychologist out of Chicago, CEO and clinical director of Wolf Behavioral Health. How can people get in touch with you? Uh, well, I am on LinkedIn, um, I'm on Facebook, and you can email me at drwolf at wolfbehavioral.com. Thank you so much. I'd love to have you back. This is a very extensive subject, a very important subject for many of my listeners. I am Maureen McGrath, and this is the Sunday Night Health Show on the Chorus Radio Network. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.